Welcome to Kidmin Talk. I so much enjoy this opportunity to come here and pursue my God-given life mission to equip and encourage you in your ministry to children. If you're a longtime Kidology user, then you know that discipleship is one of the core passions of my life. Well, I am excited today to tell you all about the brand new release of the completely rewritten, redesigned, and re-illustrated Awesome Adventure Discipleship Series that has been used to disciple thousands of children over the past decade. But beyond just telling you about a product, I want to talk more specifically today about what one-on-one discipleship looks like. How do you choose kids to disciple? And what do you do when you're meeting with them? And why discipling kids can be and should be the most important and rewarding aspect of your entire ministry. It's going to be an awesome conversation. So let's talk Kidman. Yes, it is. And I cannot even tell you how excited I am to tell you about the brand new awesome adventure books that have just come out. I mean, I've been converted into a cartoon. I'm hiking through Yosemite. My son Luke is even in the book. Now he's not my son in the book, but one of the cartoons is named Luke. But I've got to hold off. I've got to hold off because it's not about a book. The Awesome Adventure is a great tool, and I hope that you'll use it. I hope that it'll be a great aid to you in discipling kids. But discipleship is not about a product, so I've got to back up. Products can be helpful. Products can be tools. Products can assist you. But discipleship is not a product. Discipleship is not a program. If programs and products can help us with our ministry goals then buy them and use them. But I've got to back up because I like to start with principles. I like to start above and beyond any product or any tool because ultimately I don't care whether you use Awesome Adventure. I don't care whether you use Kidology. I care that you disciple kids. And if you do something different than Awesome Adventure, if you use another tool or another book or you do something on your own, that is wonderful. That is fine with me. Awesome Adventure was written by my wife and I because we couldn't find anything else on the market that made sitting down with kids and studying the Bible and learning the basics um, that was fun and that was engaging, that was colorful, but that was also biblically rich. And I'll, I'll get to that later because I do think that these tools are amazing. But I've got to back up first and I've got to talk about What is discipleship? Because it is a word that everybody uses and everybody throws around and everybody talks about and everybody is engaged in, but in this big, humongous way, but not necessarily in an intentional way. I think a lot of people treat discipleship uh, with a shotgun approach. I mean, you know, the shotgun uh, doesn't take a whole lot of skill. I mean, you point a shotgun at a bird, you know, you don't really have to aim, you know. I like marksmanship. You know, I, I'm, my mom never let me buy any big, uh, powerful guns, neither will my wife. So you, you should see the BB gun arsenal that I have in the garage, you know, and high-powered pellet guns. I mean, I've got a $300 high-powered mnemonic rifle with a scope that would scare most 
most people, if they saw it, and all it is is a fancy BB gun, you know. But hey, I use it to kill the rabbits out in the field because they get up in my car and chew the wires, and I've paid hundreds of dollars in car repairs. So, you know, that's justified my rabbit killing. And, um, you know, I've posted a few pictures on Facebook of my rabbit hunts. But, uh, you know, basically BB guns is, is as high a caliber as I'm going to get, you know, .177 caliber. But, you know, it still takes some skill to hit a rabbit from 100 feet. But a shotgun, man, you know, all those pellets go flying out. You know, you can hit anything with a shotgun. And that's how a lot of people approach discipleship. You know, it's like we just shoot a bunch of stuff at kids and something's got to stick. You know, we just shoot a bunch of programs at them, shoot a bunch of videos at it, shoot a bunch of, you know, picture books and Christian music and T-shirts and all this fun Christian stuff. And something's got to stick. But what we're finding out is when they get to high school, a lot of kids, nothing's sticking. And we've been shooting all kinds of stuff at them. So what is discipleship? Well, I think the key is always for me to go back to the Word of God. And it doesn't even take an inductive, huge Bible study with 100 verses. I think you just go right back to the Great Commission in, in uh, Matthew chapter 28, Jesus' final parting words. I mean, he, Jesus said a lot of things in his time in ministry, but when he left, he left with just one command. And he said it right there in Matthew 28, verse 18 through the end of the chapter. Then Jesus came to them and he said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And here's what he said, verse 19. Therefore, go. Now it goes on, doesn't it? Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. All right, he didn't even say to go make any programs. He didn't even say to go evangelize. You notice that? He said, go and make disciples of all nations. And then he kind of defines what that means. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then he assures them, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And we don't know how long that age is going to be. The disciples thought it was a pretty short time, but it's been a long time, and it may still be a longer time. But here's what he said, to go and make disciples. But what does that mean? Well, first of all, it means baptizing him. Well, what does it mean to be baptized? When you get baptized, you're making a public declaration of your commitment to follow Christ. So salvation is wrapped up in that. So obviously, we're to go out and... Uh, convince people and to implore people and to invite people to follow Christ with their life. Now, whether we should have kids get baptized, that's a conversation for another time. I think absolutely we should invite kids to accept Christ as their Savior and to follow Him in baptism. Every church handles that differently. But but the point is that they are to follow Christ and salvation is part of it. But that's not the end. See, going to make disciples is not just to get them to pray a sinner's prayer and we're done. He says, no, it's more than that. Making a disciple is to baptize them, get them saved, get them baptized, or even if the baptism comes later when they're older in junior high or high school because they're more mature or whatever, however you handle baptism, that's not my point. My point is that discipleship is more than getting them saved and or baptized. He said it's more than that. It's teaching them to obey. And then there's this huge word, starts with the letter E. Everything that I have commanded you. He commanded a lot of stuff. I mean, man, there was the Beatitudes, there's the whole Sermon on the Mount, you know, there's all kinds of stuff. And he says we're to teach them not a bunch of knowledge, but to teach them to obey. We're to actually teach them how to live for him, how to follow him. 
And then he gave that assurance that he's going to be with us. So if we're going to make disciples, it's more than just having all kinds of evangelistic events to get kids to come to church and get saved and become Christians. We have to actually teach them to obey. Now, a lot of people would argue that they're doing that. I mean, they've got Sunday school, they've got midweek clubs, they've got Awana or Royal Rangers or, you know, whatever the midweek clubs is. And, you know, they've got all these things that they're doing. And that's what all that stuff is. It's it's all to teach kids how to obey. They're sending home take-home papers and they're doing vacation Bible schools and, you know, they're doing, you know, Christian sports programs and, you know, they're, they're doing all kinds of stuff, clubs or whatever. And, and that's the point of all of it, you know, is to get kids saved and to, you know, teach them to obey. I mean, man, we got all this virtue stuff going too. And isn't that just to make kids obey? Well, let me tell you a, a little personal story of how I came to see discipleship in a totally different way. And uh, it's kind of a romantic story. And I got to give you the quick version. A lot of people have heard this in workshops and I've been talking about cross-cultural ministry and, and things like that. But the way I met my wife was in a missionary slideshow. I was sitting in the back pew in high school and I saw this beautiful slide of this missionary speaker's daughter. And um, through a long story, I'm not going to share on this podcast. It's a fun story. It's more fun to tell it live. But man, I decided to, to write to that beautiful girl in the slideshow and we became pen pals and uh, boy I hate telling it the short version but we became pen pals uh, me and this MK in the Philippines on the other side of the earth and as we wrote back and forth and the and the friendship grew and I was just in high school and she was in high school you know this burden for the Philippines began to grow in me and by the time I graduated high school a couple years later you know, I just decided I had to go to the Philippines. You know, I just had to lead those Filipinos to Jesus and uh, share Christ with the Filipinos, you know. And uh, so I wrote to her dad, and I wrote to this missionary, this great missionary man, and I said, you know, I would just love to come and be mentored by you and discipled by you, and and um, and maybe, you know, you could just, you know, teach me all that you know in the Lord and everything. And, and I think he sensed an ulterior motive. Uh, I think he'd seen all those letters coming to his house and maybe he had to buy all the stamps that his daughter was using to write me back. So he wrote back and he said, uh, you get a year of Bible school, buddy, and uh, you can come the next year. Well, I like to joke that uh, that was better than working for him for seven years and getting her sister. And she didn't have a sister. So I did. I went to Moody Bible Institute for a year. And after my year was up and I dated a little bit that year and but, you know, none of the girls at my freshman year of Bible college could compare to this pen pal. And so I wrote him back and said, I got my year of Bible school. I'd still like to come. I, I still have this great burden for the souls in the Philippines. Um, I don't know if he bought that or not, but he did let me come. And I went out there and uh, got to meet my pen pal in person. And the romantic story you'll have to ask of me in person. But I began uh, my missionary internship under this this great uh, godly man who had uh, planted uh, several churches in the Philippines, and the one he was at now had grown uh, to be quite a large church there in Manila. Well, I'd only been there about two weeks, and uh, was having my Wednesday afternoon meeting with uh, David Yount of the Green Hills Christian Fellowship there in Manila, and he said to me, so how many boys are you discipling? I said, oh, what do you mean? I've only been here like two weeks. He might have been being a little hard on me since he knew uh, I had a little crush on his daughter. But he said, how many boys are you discipling? I said, well, none, I guess. 
He said, well, by next week, I'd like you to be discipling at least two young men. Well, I didn't know I have a clue what he was talking about. Here I am, a pastor's son. I'm a Bible major student at Moody Bible Institute. You know, they call it the West Point of Christian education. You know, behind every rock on the mission field is supposed to be a Moody student and a Ryrie study Bible. And, and I don't know what he's talking about. Who am I discipling? And by next week, he wants to be discipling two young men. And, and, and I don't have the nerve to ask him, what exactly does that mean? I, I have no idea what you're asking of me because, of course, I want to impress this man because I, I like his daughter. So I just said, yes, sir, and I left. Well, I figured Sarah, that's uh, my wife's name, who I did end up marrying. I went to her, and I thought, well, she'll, she'll help me out here. So I went to Sarah, and I said, um, Sarah, your, your dad wants me to be discipling two guys by next Wednesday. And she said, well, that's great. Why don't you? I realized I was in deep water because um, she assumed that I knew what discipleship meant and what it looked like. And I wasn't about to tell her that I had no clue either. Because again, I'm a pastor's kid. I'm this Moody Bible Institute Bible theology major. And how do I admit that I had no idea what they meant by the word discipleship or discipling or how in the world I was supposed to find two boys to disciple by next Wednesday? That was seven days away and I was only going to be there for eight weeks. Well, I was desperate to impress her and impress her dad. And so the next night there was a church meeting and I'm looking around and I see two young men sitting in the back row and looked like nice approachable guys. And so I walked up to them trying to look as godly and as spiritual as I could. And I said, hey, how you doing? My name's Carl. And they said, hi, and introduced myself. I'm a missionary and apprentice from the Philippines. I'm from America. I'm working here for the summer. And I just blurted it out. I had no idea what it meant. I just said, would you guys like to be discipled? Their eyes lit up, but they looked up at me and they said, you would disciple us? I said, yeah, actually I would. I said, that's great. And I had no idea what I had agreed to. And they said, well, we better go get a discipleship book. I said, well, that, that, yeah, yeah, I guess we should. So I followed them to the back of the sanctuary. They had a little bookstore and they told the gal behind the counter, uh, we're going to need two discipleship books. And they looked at me and said, oh, and a leader's guide. <laughs> I said, yeah, that, that would be for me. So I paid for all the books and said, I'll take a student book too. So I had my student book and my leader's guide and they had their student books. And then they turned to me and said, well, when should we meet? And I said, well, uh, what works for you? And they kind of led me leading them in arranging a time and a place after school. There was a fast food place over by the Makati shopping mall and so we went over there and we started lesson one. Now, once we started to go through this Bible study, I had no problem talking about God or talking about the word of God or talking about my faith. And once we started going through this how to grow discipleship book that Pastor Dave had written, which by the way, he could have told me about, but that's okay. I think I know what he was doing. He was just pushing me off the deep end. And that sometimes that's the best way to learn to swim. And I had a great time learning to disciple that summer. In fact, one of those young men that I discipled, his name is Dennis Dibangandayo, and he's on the staff of Kidology. You can see his picture today on our staff page. But I learned to disciple. And what I learned was that by taking these young men through 12 lessons of the basics of the Christian faith and by pouring into their life, I was able to teach them what it means to obey Christ. And when we finished 
going through that How to Grow series, they knew the gospel clearly. They knew how to read their Bible. They knew how to pray. They knew how to serve. They had discovered their spiritual gifts. They knew what the church was. We had gone through all these basics of the Christian faith, and there was a sense of completion and a sense of confidence that they knew the basics. They had gone through so much of Scripture together that they were grounded. Did they know everything? No, but they knew the basics. And it's so much like in sports, you hear so often sports teams saying, we've got to return to the basics. And then I began to find out that everybody in that church either was discipled, had been discipled, was a discipler, or at least knew what it was and was waiting for someone to disciple them. And they even had charts where they had laid out who was discipling and who had discipled who, and it kind of grew out like a tree as people became disciplers. And that was the key to why that church became such a large church and it planted daughter churches and those daughter churches that planted daughter churches. And why when Sarah's dad retired, he was able to hand that ministry over to the nationals there in the Philippines and why that church is thriving to this day because it was a church founded on one-on-one discipleship. Well, my wife was a Christian education major at Moody. She needed to do an educational project as part of her degree, and she decided to write a children's version of her parents' How to Grow series, and so she did. She wrote a children's discipleship series called Shine Through Me, Jesus, and wrote 12 kids' lessons based on that How to Grow series. It was illustrated by the artists of Green Hills Christian Fellowship, and years later, um, we used that in our own ministry. We were discipling kids in our ministry. And then when I began to use Disciple Land's core Bible curriculum in my ministry and saw how incredible that ministry was and how thorough their Sunday school curriculum was, there's a spotlight on Disciple Land linked on Kidology, and I'll link it in the show notes. I approached Disciple Land and said, you have this amazing discipling Sunday school curriculum. I wish you could see our discipling one-on-one tool. Would you be willing to publish it? And boy, maybe at another time to the podcast, I can tell you the incredible story, the incredible miracle that God did to make that come about. And uh, it's, it's an amazing, amazing story for another time of how God funded that ministry through a generous individual who uh, paid for that. Uh, one fellow in my church uh, had offered to buy me a ministry car. Another man who, maybe I'll link the video where he's on with Jay Leno um, with a car that he designed. Maybe I'll link to that. Had designed me a ministry car and the man that was going to pay for it, I went to him and said, I have an opportunity to get this discipleship book published by a publisher, but we need funding. How about you skip the car you're going to buy me for my ministry and help fund this discipleship book instead? And I gave up my ministry vehicle. We funded the Awesome Adventure Publishing instead. And uh, now thousands of kids have been discipled. Never got my cool ministry car. Uh, But anyway, it was an amazing uh, series of events that Awesome Adventure uh, was born. And, um, and, and it's just been an incredible ride. And that first awesome adventure that many of you have used uh, has discipled uh, countless kids uh, through 
those who have purchased it through Kidology, those who have purchased it through Discipleland.com. The first rendition had 3D glasses, and then those were kind of a pain in the neck. So uh, the second printing, we dropped the 3D glasses, and then uh, now they've completely redone it, and it is amazing. What they've done, uh, it was so much work to rewrite it, and I've been busy writing Disciple Town, and uh, Disciple Land's been kind of on my case. Look, we need to bring this up to a new level, because after Awesome Adventure, they started writing other adventures and other discipleship books that go through other areas uh, the kids need to learn after they go through the basics. And uh, those are amazing. The Volcano Adventure and several others. And maybe I'll list those in the show notes so you can find out about those. And I just was like, oh, man, I don't have time to rewrite Awesome Adventure. I'm writing Disciple Town. And I've got all this work at Kidology. And then uh, Disciple Land came to me and said, how about we make it where you're in the book and you're hiking through Yosemite. Now, those of you who know me and know about Yosemite Summit, you know I love Yosemite. So I think that was a little bit of putting my arm up behind my back and twisting it, but it worked. And so I rewrote it. I changed the storyline of the book. Well, it didn't really have a storyline before. It was just Dee, Cy, and Paul and these characters and the puzzles and the content. But we changed it to a storyline, much like the other adventures have. And now it's me and Dee, Cy, Paul, and Chip and these two other characters, and that's where I asked, how about you change Ben to Luke so my son can kind of be in it? Now, he's not my son in the story, but the character's name is Luke, so my son, when he gets old enough for me to disciple him, he'll see kind of his, a character that looks like him in the book. And they're hiking through Yosemite, and there's object lessons in their adventure, things that happen throughout the book are object lessons to whatever the lesson is, like the lesson on salvation. They get to a river, and they can't get across it, it's kind of like the bridge illustration, and then they find a, a log going across the river, and they cross over the log, and of course that's an illustration of how the cross is, how we get across the chasm um, to get to God. There's one point where Laura gets lost. She gets separated from the group, but she stops and blows her whistle, and they find her, and that's an illustration of prayer, how when we uh, get off the path in life, we just pray, we just stop and call out to God. Uh, there's one point where they, they don't know which path to take. And both paths um, go might go there, but they're not really sure what to do. So they, they're not really sure what to do. And then a, a ranger comes along and gives them some advice and says, well, if you take that way, there's a land, a rock slide. If you go the other way, it'll, it'll be a better path. And that's an analogy of the Holy Spirit. A lot of times it's not an issue of sin. It's just an issue of needing guidance. And the Holy Spirit comes along and says, you know what? It'd be better um, if you go that way. And um, you know, it's just all kinds of analogies like that throughout the whole time. You know, there's one point where they come across, and there's all kinds of trash on the ground, and and uh, their leader, you know, who's PK, Pastor Carl, says, "Hey, let's stop and pick up all this trash." And one of them's like, "Hey, well, we didn't make the mess," and uh, but he talks about, you know what? Sometimes, you know, we just want to serve. We want to, even though, you know, it wasn't our fault. And we talk about serving others and serving the church. He talks about their spiritual gifts. They have a chance to witness to other hikers in the park. Um, there's some. There's an actual encounter with a bear. Don't worry, nobody gets hurt. But uh, one of them doesn't obey a rule, and the bear ends up uh, trashing their tent. And they learn why it's important to obey the park rules. And um, and then there's some forgiveness there for the one that didn't obey the rules. So there's just uh, this great analogy through the book. 
there's puzzles, there's codes, there's mazes, and yet it's rich in scripture like you're used to. There's over 200 verses throughout the book that the kids look up. A lot of them are optional references, um, like you'll see in my writing a lot, where if something's referenced in scripture, I'll just put it in parentheses. But when you're discipling, you can look up those verses or encourage kids in their home time to look those up and highlight them in their Bible. So it's an amazing tool to disciple kids. So let me just talk briefly about this one-on-one discipleship and why it's so important. Because it is the one thing that can transform your ministry. I got to tell you, when I have left ministries and gotten thank you notes from kids or those farewell notes, no kid has ever thanked me for a vacation Bible school. They've never thanked me you know, for Sunday school or how great the curriculum was. My notes have always been about the one-on-one relational times I spent with kids. And the kids that I have discipled one-on-one, or often it's two-on-one because depending on the family relationships and things like that, um, I'll often disciple two boys, take them out to Taco Bell or McDonald's or something like that and disciple them in a public place um, unless, unless I'm going to their home. But those are the kids that now are in Bible college or in ministry or are in godly marriages or on fire for the Lord because you're pouring your life into them and teaching them what it means to live for Christ. Well, how do you pick which kids to disciple? I mean, obviously you can't disciple every child in your ministry one-on-one. So you recruit a team of disciplers. You challenge your parents to take kids through the discipleship series. I'll link to the next steps for kids class and disciples on the, the show notes. That is a class I do for fifth and sixth graders every year. And it, it's the kind of pre-class for baptism. And it goes through, you know, what is communion? You know, what is baptism? And what is discipleship? And then I challenge the parents to take their kids through the Awesome Adventure book. And so I try to get every older child of my ministry through Awesome Adventure before they go into youth group. So that's one way to just have parents take their kids through it. You can also recruit a team of college-age people. And there's adults who love kids that have just either never married or never had children of their own. And they love kids. And they make great disciplers. But who should you focus on? Because you're a prime discipler. Well, I focus on what I call the bookends of kids. You know, you've got all these kids, but on the outer ends, you have two groups. You have the kids that are the problem kids. They're the kids with the discipline problems. They're the kids from broken homes. They're the kids that don't have a father or don't have a mother, and and they they need special attention. Or they're kids in crisis. You know, I've discipled kids who have a parent uh, dying of cancer or going through a life crisis of some type, a divorce, or um, dad's in jail, uh, or something like that. And so you focus on those kids that are in some kind of crisis or behavioral problems or the parents aren't Christians, you know, that that's the that's the one end. And by pouring into those kids, you can be that person that makes all the world of difference to them. You can be that person that when they look back on their life and why they are living for Christ and why they didn't derail, you might be that person that's that pivotal relationship that changed the entire direction of their life. Then you go all the way to the other direction and you look at the kids who everything looks great. 
I mean, their their parents are like the star Christians. You know, they're the choir director. They're the pastor's kids. You know, they're the ones that nothing looks wrong with them. And you know why you focus on them? Because they're the kids that shock everybody by abandoning Christ in high school and college. Because they know how to really put on a great show. But often, um, it's, it's not real. Or they get led astray later. Or even your pastor's kids. I mean, how many nightmares have you heard about pastor's kids? Either like they either do great or they do terrible. Well, pastor's kids and ministry people's kids, you know, they reach a point sometimes where they wonder, you know, would I be a Christian if my dad wasn't a pastor? They need somebody outside of their parents teaching them the same things that their parents taught them. I am so thankful for the adults in my life who poured into me spiritually that because I was a pastor's kid. I needed people outside of my dad, and my dad was awesome. My mom was awesome. But I needed people outside of them reaffirming what I was hearing in the home so that I knew that it wasn't just because of my parents that I believed the things that I believed. And then the next question is, how do you get them to meet with you? Well, you just approach them. You show them the book. That's the great thing about Awesome Adventure being such a fun and exciting book. And you get together with them, you show them the book, and you say, hey, I got this really cool book. It's called Awesome Adventure. It goes through the basics of the Christian life. And I was wondering if you'd like to get together with me uh, about 12 times. It might take us a few more times than that if we get distracted and just go through this study together. I'd love to get to know you better. I'd love to uh, just talk to you about God and how you're doing in your Christian life and and just pour into you for, for a season. And that's also the great thing about it being 12 lessons, because if you just were to meet with someone and you don't have this concrete goal of completing a book, how do you stop meeting with them? If you stop meeting with them, that they could interpret that as you don't care about them anymore, or you, you, know, you lost interest in them. When you have a book, you're able to graduate them, finish them, and then let them know that you, know, you, you would like to now turn your attention to some other kids. You still care about them. You still love them. They can call you anytime. And uh, I can talk maybe later or another time about how you wrap up the discipling process. But it gives you some closure instead of it just petering out um, or them misinterpreting why you're not meeting with them anymore. But I've never had a problem with kids wanting to do that. I mean, they love you. They think you are the bomb. They think you are great. You rock. And so, wow, you want to meet with them? You want to get together with them? Treat them out to some fast food, you know, and uh, spend time with them? I've never been turned down by a kid. And the parents, the parents are just amazed that you, you know, with all that you have to do, running a ministry and everything, that you want to take time to pour into their kid. That just blows their mind. It blows their world. Uh, it, it's just, it's amazing to them. And so you get together with them. And the first time you do the first lesson with them, you look up the Bible verses, you get them a Bible. If they don't have a good Bible, if they've got some lame picture Bible, or they've got like some version that's really hard to understand, then you get them an easy to understand Bible, um, one that they can understand. You might get an NIRV if, if they're a young kid, or an, uh, I recommend the NIV. I know a lot of people have opinions about translation, so you go with what you believe or what you're comfortable with. But the important thing is that they have a Bible that is theirs, that becomes their study Bible. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I challenge kids to get themselves the Thompson Chain Reference Bible. And uh, I want them to have a Bible that they can study, that they can go through the chains. If they, I mean, 
the Thompson Chain Reference Bible, I mean, the reference section is, I think, bigger than the entire Bible. I mean, it's huge in the back. Or maybe it's a fourth of the Bible. I don't know. I don't remember. I don't have it right here. But it's huge. And kids get excited about that. I mean, there's archaeological sections in the back. There's concordances in the back. And it's massive. Don't let them get away with an electronic Bible. You want one they can underline in. They can write notes in. They can start to feel some ownership with. So do that first lesson with them. And then challenge them to do lesson two on their own. And then the next time you get together, you talk about lesson two. And you may end up just talking about the whole lesson two the whole time and assign lesson three. If that goes pretty quick, then you can do lesson three together and assign lesson four. You play it by ear. But I've never been through all 12 lessons in 12 meetings. Sometimes we do one together and assign one. Sometimes we talk about it together. Um, but then be sensitive to life issues and make sure that it's not about finishing a book. Remember, the book is a tool to talk about real life. So when you're talking about the prayer lesson, make sure they start praying. When you're talking about the Bible lesson, make sure they're getting into the Bible. When it comes into home uh, devotions, they need to start doing their devotions. If they're not doing devotions, you might need to pause the book, put Awesome Adventure aside, and, and start working on doing devotions for a while. Um, there is some awesome downloadable resources available through the teacher's guide. They're available in the downloadable resources on discipleland.com. We're going to make some of them available on Kidology as well. They're so brand new, we, we haven't even put them on Kidology yet. I'm going to link the devotional download. It's really cool, and they can start using those, do daily devotions. My expectation on devotions is first graders do it once a week, second graders twice a week, third graders three times a week. Basically, their grade is how many times a week I challenge them to do devotions. I mean, I don't expect a third grader to do devotions seven times a week. All right, I don't think a lot of adults do it seven times a week. So I try to be realistic in my expectations. But there's a memory verse, and I do expect them to learn those memory verses. And there's downloads of the memory verses in multiple translations. And I'm, I work on those memory verses. I make sure they know them. And the first verse is the hardest one. It's First Chronicles 29.11. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. I love that the first verse is the hardest because it's a challenge and you really work on that. But then you can tell them, hey, they're all easier from here on out. But when you can have kids learn a tough verse like that, even little kids, first graders, and they can start praying that verse, say, hey, at the dinner table, when your mom asks you to pray, say that verse in your closing prayer at the dinner table. You don't have to say the verse. Just thank God for the day and for the food. And then just close by saying, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. In Jesus' name, amen. I say your parents are going to be so impressed and God is going to be pleased too because there's power in praying the word of God. So every time you get together, you, you work through the lessons, you look up the Bible verses, you talk about them, you ask them what's going on in their life, when you talk about sharing their faith, you ask them about their friends that aren't believers, and you start praying for their friends. And what you're doing is you are making a disciple because you are teaching them to obey everything that God has commanded you. You're passing it on to them. You are making a disciple. See, Jesus stood on the hillside and he taught the multitudes, but he poured his life into 12 
men. Well, you're doing the same thing. You know, when you teach children's church or Sunday school or Nawana club or whatever your your big ministry is, you're doing the same thing as Jesus. You know, you're you're teaching to the multitudes, but you're pouring your life into a few. And you will find that those few will be the most rewarding aspect of your ministry. Years from now, your discipleship ministry, one-on-one, one-on-two, those those few individual kids that you pour into will become the cherished memories and your best stories will end up coming out of those kids. Oh, it, it's so much fun. And I mean, I, I'll just end with one story. There was one boy I was discipling who's gone to seminary and is in the ministry today. And this little inner city boy, I was discipling him and he asked me one day, he said, Pastor Carl, is it true that it's dark in hell? And I said, uh, well, let's see what the word of God says. So we did a little Bible search, and we found a passage in the Bible that said that it was dark in hell. And I said, well, according to this verse, Devin, that, that is what it says. And he thought for a moment, and then he said, but is it true that there's fire in hell? And I said, well, Devin, let's see what the Word of God says. So we did another search of Scripture, and and we found a verse and about the lake of fire, and, and we read that together. And I said, well, Devin, what's the Word of God said? He said, well, it seems that there's fire in hell. And he said, well, then let me ask you a question, Pastor Carl. He said, how could it be dark and there be fire? Because fire creates light. And I got to admit, I w- <laughs> Devin had me stumped. You know, and I've always said, it's not, not bad to tell a child you don't know the answer. So I said, you know, Devin, I do not know the answer. That is a good question. So I'm going to have to get back to you on that. Well, I went to pastoral staff meeting the next week, and I said, I've got a question from one of my disciples. And um, Devin wants to know how it, there, it can be dark in hell if, if there's light, if there's fire. And the pastors were all stumped, and they kind of joked around a little bit, but none of them took my question seriously. So I started going around asking everybody. And one night at Awana, I happened to ask a guy who knew a lot about NASCAR, and he said, well, I don't know, but I got a theory. I said, hey, theories is all I'm after. I, I don't know that we'll actually get the answer. And he said, well, there are some race cars that burn an alcohol-based uh, fuel, and they can actually catch fire and you can't see the flame, and the car can actually be on fire, and the, and the driver not know it until he starts to feel the heat, and then he'll pull into the pit, and they'll put the fire out, but they can't actually see the fire because the alcohol burns invisible. So I wondered if this was true, so I went to a store, and I got me some alcohol, and I got a piece of marble, and I put some poster putty around in a circle. I poured the alcohol in the middle of the circle, and I lit it with a match, I couldn't see anything, but when I ran my hand over the alcohol, sure enough, I burned my hand. That alcohol was on fire, and it was burning invisible. Well, I couldn't wait until the next discipleship meeting. I got together with Devin, and I put the alcohol in a container that was unlabeled. I was afraid he would repeat this experiment, and I told him I had a a chemical, but I was not going to tell him what it was, and I repeated my experiment, and I showed him that uh, there was a substance that could burn invisible, and so there I didn't know if this was the answer or how it worked, but it's possible that there could be fire in hell that burned invisible. Well, he twisted my arm, and he finally got me to to tell him what the chemical was uh, after much promising that he would not repeat this at home and burn his house down. I did not want that call from his mother. Well, I did get a call from his mother. He did not burn the house down. But what I didn't realize is that Devin's father, who was in prison, was in prison on alcohol-related charges. So Devin went to visit his father, and he told his father, uh, Father, something to this effect, I understand you're here because of alcohol, and I just want you to know that the Bible says 
that hell is dark and there's also fire in hell and you might be wondering why there can be darkness and fire in hell when fire produces light well I want you to know it's because of all the alcohol down there in hell that's burning and it burns invisible and if you don't change your ways you're gonna spend all of eternity down in darkness where the alcohol burns invisible you need to accept Jesus as your savior so you don't spend all of eternity down there sorry I'm getting choked up but Devin took that message quite literally and used it to preach salvation to his father in prison a week later you know kids kids take seriously the things that we teach them and they become little apostles and Devin took that object lesson and used it to share the gospel with his father boldly there in a prison and Devin graduated many years later went to seminary and to this day he's in the ministry you need to take discipleship seriously don't use a shotgun approach don't just shoot a bunch of stuff at kids and expect something to stick you'll do some good if you really want to make a difference in the lives of kids you need to go into all the world you need to lead them to Christ baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit but then you need to teach them to obey and that requires discipleship which I define as the intentional process of helping someone learn to follow Jesus if the awesome adventure discipleship books can help you do that I would be honored that you could use them they come in two levels there's a six to nine for younger kids there's a nine to twelve for older kids there's a teacher's guide that is just loaded with creative ideas so you can do it one-on-one disciple land has worked with it and developed it so you can also do it in a classroom setting if you want to take a classroom through the awesome adventure series and that is perfectly fine as well but the point is to go and make disciples of all nations teaching kids to follow jesus teaching them to obey everything he has commanded if you do that you will have such a rewarding ministry because you won't be using a shotgun approach you'll be using a targeted approach of making sure kids know those basics let me just walk through with you what those 12 lessons are lesson one is awesome god it's how to know what god is like lesson two is awesome promise how to receive eternal life it covers the gospel lesson three awesome growth teaches them how to live for god four awesome book how to enjoy reading god's bible lesson five is awesome access how to talk to god in prayer Number six, awesome guide, how to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Then number seven, awesome family, how to be a part of God's church. Number eight, awesome worship, how to honor and respect God. Number nine, awesome abilities, how to discover your spiritual gifts. Number 10, awesome mission, how to tell others about Jesus. Number 11, awesome disciple, how to obey God's commands. And then number 12 is awesome future, how to fulfill God's grand plan. And the new books do it all in this context of an exciting hike through Yosemite with Pastor Carl, Desai, Paul, and Chip, and some new believers named Luke and Laura. I hope you'll check it out, and I hope it can really help you make disciples of kids. Well, thanks for listening to Kidman Talk. I am so excited about Awesome Adventure that I want to send one out. So visit the show notes. Tell me a great discipleship story, something that's touching or something that's funny, something that's happened as you have poured your life into 
the spiritual development of a child. It could be something they misunderstood or something they went and did as a result of you pouring into their life. It's there linked at the bottom of the show notes. You can also email me, carl at kidmantalk.com or interact on Twitter at kidmantalk. I love to hear from you. It always encourages me, always makes my day. And remember, you can shape the show by letting me know what you would like me to talk about here on Kidman Talk. Kidman Talk.